Autism is often associated with literal or black and white thinking. Today we discuss examples of this kind of thinking from an autistic perspective and how to communicate more effectively with a literal thinker. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Welcome, welcome, everyone. We are here. At it again. (laughs) We are here today to talk about the bane of my existence. The thing that I really, truly despise about communication in general and what I think makes it overly and unnecessarily complex. And that is my inability to understand complex conversations that are not black and white and literal and straightforward. (laughs) Right. So basically, general conversation that is not a absolute. Yeah, basically normal everyday conversation. Right. <laughs> I just phrased that a really weird way. Right. Okay. <laughs> I framed it that way because it's funny. My husband and I talk about this all the time. I say my husband like y'all don't know who Matt is. Hi, Matt. That's fun. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so like our miscommunication difficulties tend to stem from the fact that I am a really literal thinker. And that's something that came up a lot in my autism evaluation when I was diagnosed. Unfortunately, what that means is that whenever I am having some sort of conversation with somebody and they say something, it doesn't even have to be like an abstract thing, like a a weird saying or anything like that. I mean, those will be confusing, like things like, oh, you're being a wet blanket. Like, you know, what are those called? Idioms or something? Yeah, I I guess so. But I mean, because there's so many times in the car, you'll be like, we'll talk about like, what does this really mean? And like, we actually like dive into like those those examples (laughs) where we're Googling it, trying to figure out like, what does it actually like? We know like kind of like obviously, but I mean, yeah, Yeah, we will get into like (laughs) philosophical debates behind the origins of idioms because they make no sense to me. Even small things can be confusing because it's not just about whether the word is a metaphor. It can be something that you are telling somebody pretty verbatim, but there's some sort of context behind what you're saying that the other person, the autistic person, or me in this situation is not receiving. And we see this, I mean, also not, I mean, just you, but we also see it in our kids too. Exactly. Um, so the one example that I just jotted down real quick is like when we're uh, driving in the car and like our kids have to use like the potty. Our first response is like, oh, can you hold it? Can you hold it? Like, so we can get to somewhere yes. and use the potty. And like <laughs> our, our youngest, she'll have like her cup or like something in her lap, whatever it is. And she'll like be holding it. And we're like, well, that's. I yes. Mean- I'll, I'll, I'll say, can you hold it? Can you hold it? You think you can hold it? Like, you know, can you hold going to the restroom? And she, she doesn't really respond verbally because she's still kind of like semi-verbal. Instead, whatever she has in her lap, she'll raise up above her head. Like she's like, holding it above her head. Right. Which, which I'll give some like credit to, like obviously be like, they're super young. So they have like learned that. Right. But I mean, that's just like a simple example that I jotted down real quick. So something along like those lines where you're saying a meaning that should be generally understood by the people vet. because of the context. Right. Yeah. But in s- certain situations, unless you are much more literal with, can you hold your bladder and not go to the restroom right now, it might not be understood, for yeah. example. And see, the problem with that is it's not so much about it being literal every time. It's more that a lot of the English language has double meaning. So in the case of can you hold it, for example, she's not wrong. That is what hold it means. Right. 
So it's not like the person is misinterpreting what you're saying necessarily. It's just they don't see that there's any other context to go into that situation. And that's something that I personally struggle with. So whenever somebody is talking to me, and again, it can be something as simple as can you hold it? Like that's not a metaphorical language. That's not an idiom. That's not some sort of complex language. But my first instinct is to always interpret whatever's being told to me very literal first. And then I will typically get confused and I'm probably not expressing this outwardly. So this is all happening in my mind. And I'm just sitting there kind of processing like, okay, that's weird. That didn't make sense. Why are they asking me this? I need to think about this for a second. And then I try to think, well, what else could they have meant by that? It can't be this. And then after like a couple like seconds of like trying to figure out what other options it could be, then I will come up with a solution and be like, oh, they must have meant, can you hold it? Like, can you hold it to go to the restroom? There's also certain situations where I will just think, 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 and I can't for the life of me figure out what it is that they meant. And in that case, I will just be like, I don't get it. What do you mean? And that's kind of where that tends to lead. And I think we gave the example probably, I can't remember if it was like the last episode, where sometimes like I'll ask like, what do you like to drink? And yes, it is perceived like you can list off like, oh, sometimes my favorite beverages are, I love coffee in the morning. I love diet Pepsi or whatever. And you can kind of rattle off like your favorite beverages of choice. But in the context, I guess, and that could be my fault too. In the context I'm using it, I'm kind of saying like, what would you like to drink like now? Like I can get you a drink. But what what is your preference? And you do give me the right answer if you're not like exhausted or something obviously is like distracting you. But I think that's like one of those examples where it's like a quick decision needs to be made essentially. So like the language of the conversation doesn't have like a huge spike in like the disruption, like the back and forth. So I think that that's where it might take like a little bit longer to like kick over. But otherwise, I mean, like, yeah, there's little examples here or there, but I mean, we kind of navigate as best we can. And see, like for me, I really think that the problem is often that context piece. Usually when I'm taking a conversation into consideration, unless we discuss previous context and it's continuing from that conversation, I don't really hold on to whatever other context has happened. I only see what's kind of like happening right here, right now. If there's some sort of comment that's made and it seems to be off the cuff to me, then that will take me a little bit like blindsided a little bit because I I will not really know what to do with it. So do you generally default to a literal meaning first before you try and figure out like the context of it? So if I say like elephant in the room, is the first image in your mind like kind of like an elephant or is that like so commonly used that it doesn't necessarily like cross your mind? So, and that's another thing. If it's, if it's a phrase that I have been exposed to consistently, frequently throughout my life, like elephant in the room, then now I've developed an instinct where I know what that means. But if it's either a new phrase, one I'm not familiar with, or like, it's not even a phrase because that's like, that's like a catchy phrase, right? For example. Sure. But if it's something like somebody's saying like, I don't know, they're just making a comment. Okay, so what about, what about this one? Uh, 800 pound gorilla in the room. I think that literally. Okay. Because I haven't heard that one really before, honestly. But the first thing, so what my brain does is instinctively what I do is I literally picture that 800 pound gorilla in my mind. And then I have to go through the process of what is this? Like what? How like, is this kind of Yeah, like how is this related to what we're talking about? Clearly, he does not mean literally 800 pounds. Like I know, I'm, I'm, I understand that there's no way that's what you actually mean. There are some autistic individuals that they don't have that capacity that I have right now to be able to say, wow, that sounds off. That can't be what he means. There are some autistic individuals who are on like the more severe end, more like level two, that they will hear that and they will think it literally and then they don't 
correct it. Like they still get stuck in that mindset. And that's where I think that I can kind of relate a little bit with our girls. And if you're a parent to an autistic kid, that's where I think that we have a little bit of insight here. Our kids may not get the context because they are taking what we're saying very, very literally. And so if we get upset with them because they're not responding in the way that we want, like for example, if we tell our kid, hold it, hold it, because they need to use the restroom and then they don't, it could be something like an incontinence issue, for example. It could be something like that. It could be anxiety or something. But it could also be that they literally did not know what you meant by the phrase hold it because it is kind of like an abstract phrase. Coming from like the like non-autistic side of things, you don't really realize how often in language you utilize idiom, idiom, idioms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't realize how often that just kind of pops up as like it's just ingrained in kind of like your general culture, just your general language. But now I find like with our kids, like for that example, now I'm much more aware of how we structure our sentences to be as direct as possible when we're asking them to do something or we're trying to answer a question rather than answering how we would to like an adult, for example. And I mean, obviously, like we talk to our kids like they're kids. It, it's not that. It's more so like being direct and not like telling them more clearly right, what we not, mean rather than speaking in like how we would metaphor to. or right, yeah, right. how you would with somebody who's not autistic, basically. Right. Yeah. So that's the thing, because if my kid is taking everything literally like I am, I can tell you how frustrating that has been. And part of the struggles that I had prior to getting my autism diagnosis was that I was doing this and not realizing I was doing this because I, I wasn't aware that other people didn't think the way that I did. So when those miscommunications come up, they're extremely frustrating because you're actually literally talking about two different things. One person might be talking about one thing like, oh, can you hold it? And the other person is interpreting another thing like, can you physically hold it? And then there might be a miscommunication there. You guys argue, you're upset with each other, you can't be friends anymore. This ends up infecting all parts of your social relationships. You end up having a hard time making friends. You end up having problems with relatives, family, your marital relationships if you get to that point as an adult. There's so much that can go wrong with this if the person on the receiving end of that conversation, so the non-autistic person, if they're not able to accommodate what that autistic person is essentially trying to communicate. It is a two-way street, I would say, but I would I will say from my experience as the autistic person, I cannot change the fact that I instinctively think of things literally when somebody talks to me. And it just simply does not cross my mind to think about it any other way. So there's no way for me to adapt that. And I mean, you guys have listened to this podcast long enough to probably know that I'm the type of person who will try anything. I try to like accommodate all sorts of needs. I try to try every trick in the book. I get really creative with solutionizing. And this has been one of those things that I have not been able to solutionize. It's really that difficult. Well, I'm also just thinking on like a employment stance. So if someone is telling you, okay, we need to build a security system and they say like, these are the specs that we need. I'm not sure how hard it would be to go in between the individual bullets and find like the subcategories within that that also need to be addressed. So like if you're building like, a, I don't know, a security system or something and it's saying, oh, we need doors that lock. Oh, okay. And then you're looking at like, oh, key cards or something. And you have to find like each individual criteria within just, okay, we need a door that has a lock on it. So I feel like that might also be a difficult thing because it's almost reading 
reading between the lines multiple layers. Yeah. If that makes sense. This is a topic that is honestly so big that I don't feel like we can cover it all in like one episode of this podcast. So we are going to be kind of breaking this up a little bit throughout the season because I do want to go a little bit deeper about how this sort of thinking does impact you in your work life as an adult or if you have like a higher functioning teenager who's looking for employment, how it could potentially impact them. But it also can impact your child in school and the education system. And it might impact what sorts of accommodations they need or what sorts of opportunities that they have. So this is something that I will dive into more specifically in those areas in those upcoming episodes. But just generally speaking, when it comes to this black and white literal thinking, it basically means a couple things. One, it means that when you are speaking to your child, you really need to be very clear about what it is that you need from them if you're asking of a certain task. So that whole playing coy thing, it does not work. If you throw hints out there, like let's say you want the kid to clean their room. Let's let's say they're capable of cleaning their room and you want them to clean their room. Doing something like, man, I really wish your room was clean. That's not going to work. <laughs> like I'm just telling you right now, and Matt laughs because we've had, we've had many a conversation. When somebody says something like that, I literally think that they are literally just wishing you know, that it would be clean. Yeah. Like they're just saying, man, I wish. I wish that would be clean. I'd just be like, man, yeah, I wish it was clean too. <laughs> How the heck did we get there? <laughs> like, yeah. How do we solve this problem? Right. And so what ends up happening is Matt will get frustrated. I mean, it's never this specific situation hasn't happened, but something similar may have happened. And he might get upset because I'm not catching what he's throwing. Hey, metaphor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Good job. But basically, it leads to this miscommunication and frustration. And then it leads to, for example, Matt might be thinking that I am intentionally not doing the thing that he wants, right? Which could potentially build resentment that could build some sort of like negativity in that relationship, just like it could as a parent. If you feel like you're requesting something from your child and your child is not following through, sometimes we misinterpret that as my child is just misbehaving or they're rebelling. They don't want to obey or do whatever it is that they're supposed to be doing. They don't respect me. In many situations when it comes to autism, that's generally not the case. It's usually that perhaps they didn't even understand that that you were requesting something from them. So always make sure that if there is something that you want, you really need to break it down to the detail. For me personally, I need that explicit, can you do X, Y, and Z by ABC time? I really need those details. That sort of straightforward direct language. And if it's something like, hey, can you clean up the kitchen? That's too vague. You have to be more specific and be like, hey, can you do the dishes and wipe down the countertops? Like you have to be very specific about what those things are because I will tell you from the autistic perspective, it's really, really hard guessing. To me, it feels like we're just guessing. Like I'm just pulling ideas out of thin air and hoping to God that I'm getting the right one. And I know you're laughing because we've had this conversation many a times. It's okay. Um, (laughs) No, because see, on the other side of it, it seems strange to me to have conversation structure like, and I mean, we've had this conversation before because it sounds rude to be that direct about whatever task I'm asking you to work on. So, I mean, yeah, I could say, babe, can you clean whatever room? Yes, I can. I feel like that's a little bit like, aggre- not aggressive, but like- Impolite. 
Yeah, like kind, kind of, of more direct and kind of like in your face as where I'm, I kind of structure it in like another way where it's like more fluffy language, I guess. Like, I think I use the phrase like we, like, oh, we really need to do this. And you're like, yeah, yeah we really yeah. do. And it's like, <laughs> why is there only an I in this we? <laughs> but it's, it's, that's, I mean, a valid point. We need to be more direct about what we mean when we're conversing, because a lot of times that will just be missed. From my point of view, I feel like it's a lot of mind reading and it feels like it's a lot of like guessing at what the other person wants from me. And I cannot pick up on the cues of what they mean unless they're very explicit. So when it comes to raising an autistic child, if you feel like you're having these miscommunications with your child, if you feel like you're struggling and you feel like they're not really listening or following through with things, I would sit down with them and if they are at the point where they can have these conversations with you, I would try to work a communication plan out with them. So maybe ask from them. Let's say they're a 16-year-old and they're higher functioning. Hey, what is it that you need for me to know what it is that I'm asking of you? How can I phrase things in a way that you would understand and get their feedback from that? If it's a younger child who is perhaps nonverbal or perhaps not really capable of having those conversations, then my best advice would be to just break your conversations into the most basic, simplistic forms as possible. It might feel like you're doing like caveman speak. It might feel rude. I will tell you, Matt, I can tell that you feel kind of like silly having to talk to me sometimes the way you do. Yeah, I see that smirk on your face (laughs) (laughs) because it really is kind of like you have to talk to me kind of like a caveman sometimes. And it works, though, because you're, you're taking out what I call the fluff of a conversation and it gets to the meat and potatoes of that. And I can understand better. Once we start filling in with all this fluff, that's where I get lost and confused. With kids, it's easiest to remove any of those distractors and just get down to the roots of exactly what you need from them. So that would be from like for like a audio request to your child. But I also think like, I mean, I think when our girls are a little bit older and they're able to understand the concept of like chores and whatnot, I think it'd probably be a good idea to actually have like a board and like almost like a visual chore thing so they know exactly like what is being asked of them. Like, oh, okay, vac, well, not vacuum. I was going to say vacuum the living room. But <laughs> the one thing that, they're well, terrified of. Terrified <laughs> the vacuum. Sweep the floor. So like it can have like, oh, sweep kitchen or something. So then we can have like a picture of like a broom and like a kitchen or something. So then they can have like a visual reminder of like, oh, okay, this is what is being asked of you every single day. This is basically the guidelines for that chore. So then there's not really a lot of like potential for misunderstanding. Obviously, talking to them is probably a priority key, but then it's like a, a secondary, I feel like a visual chore wheel or whatever would be helpful as well. Yeah. And I would say one of my biggest pet peeves in this area is when people automatically assume that if you're not catching the gray areas of conversation, that you are just dumb. Like people have treated me all the time like I'm dumb because I don't get what they're saying. And it's not that I'm dumb. It's just that my brain is literally only interpreting things in a certain way. If you only ever knew that the word flower was a plant and you never knew or never crossed your mind that it could also be an ingredient in a cake, you're not dumb if somebody uses that in a sentence and you don't get why they're talking about a flower in that context. I, I didn't know where you were going with that. And I was like, well, it's like, like if you're was, saying I, I'm going to pour this in the cake and you think, oh, they're going to put a literal flower in the cake. Like, let's pretend you've never heard of F-L-O-U-R. Right. It would be super confusing to you. You'd be like, why are they putting a flower in there? 
That's literally how I experience things all the time. I'm just like, why are they putting a flower in a cake? I don't get it. I mean, in this context, clearly I know what flower means, but that's kind of like an example of what it feels like oftentimes when I'm having these conversations with people. And it's definitely not associated with intellect because you can have a vast vocabulary. Like I have a really expansive vocabulary. My vocabulary is actually higher than most. And so are our girls. They've been tested. Their vocabulary is very high, but it's that like social understanding that's low. It's kind of like the social IQ is low and that social conversational IQ is kind of low. Sorry, I went down. I mean, I was listening, of course, <laughs> but I also went down the rabbit hole of like, I wonder what other kitchen items have like a like sector. And I was like, oh, baking soda. And I was like, oh, like, oh, like I don't know, like pouring literal yeah, soda like, oh, into we're there. Bake the soda. But that's weird. I, know, I wouldn't I think of that I one. Know, I know. I just kind of got it going down that rabbit hole. A little bit, that, yeah. But I will say, just to lighten things up a little bit, there is one tremendous strength to being a literal and black and white thinker. Can you guess what that is? Puns? Yes. Am I or am I not great at puns? <laughs> yeah, you point out everyone's puns. Yes. And they're like, yeah, that is pretty funny. <laughs> yes, because that's, that's the one bright spot. So, you know, if your kid struggles with this and this is something that they're insecure about as they get older, bring this up to them and see if it's a strength because more than likely they will be really great at puns because we think of everything literal first. So I think that that's a great way to kind of add a silver lining because it'll give your kids something to be like unique about, you know, like humor is always something that helps in difficult situations. And for me, like if I'm having a difficult conversation, I can just make a joke about a pun and be like, oh my gosh, I totally thought you meant this. And then just make a joke and people laugh. It's like another social lubricant. Right. Because we say laughter is the best medicine. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, basically I just want to have a little bit of a conversation because I feel like this is something that I have personally struggled with a lot. And I do think it's really important that when we are having these conversations with our kids and we feel like frustrated because they're not getting what we're saying or we're not getting the response that we're expecting from them or they're not understanding. And it's like, oh, because I mean, Matt, you can attest to this. You get very frustrated. And I mean, understandably so. Right. Because, well, it's hard because if you're trying to do something in a rush, you don't have enough time to think, how else can I rephrase this in a like way that you'll understand, for example. So I just kind of either I'll do the task myself or I'll just keep, I'll repeat it and kind of be like giving additional like feedback or description of what it is that I need. But yeah, sometimes it's kind of frustrating. But <laughs> And I will say the problem flows the other way as well. Another main pain point that has been in our communication issue is essentially the reverse of this, where I will say something very literal and I mean it very literal. Like when I'm having a conversation, whatever I'm saying, I actually mean, and there's not any sort of double meaning. I'm very literal about my words, but other people will interpret it as having double meaning because that's how neurotypical people communicate. And so we will have misunderstandings where I'm saying something really literal and he will think that there's some sort of like hidden meaning there that he's supposed to pick up on. So that can kind of lead to some communication issues too. Right. I I think it's funny because I'm like, no, I literally am just saying, can you do X? And he'll be like, oh, I thought you meant, can you do X? And this, 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 this. And I was like, what? How'd you get that? Where did that come from? That's like the reading between the line thing. Right. And that's what blows my mind. It, It truly, honestly blows my mind to think that other people talk in like these riddles where it's like, I'm going to say, can I have a piece of cake? But really I'm saying, do you want to go out and get some coffee? 
And I'm like, what? How do you get that from that? Like, I just get so confused. Off on a tangent there, but I just want to let you guys know this is something that is really difficult for me in particular. I know that in the autistic community, the people that I've spoken to, adults at this point, is something that we have in common is that we always have these like communication issues. And unfortunately, it tends to kind of sabotage relationships and friendships because it leads to a lot of misunderstandings. So I just want to end with please consider having a little bit more patience with your child if they are like a literal thinker. More than likely, they probably are. They probably do think in black or white, which is kind of like all or nothing. So that middle ground and gray areas may be difficult for them to understand. It is very difficult for us to interpret these conversations. And it's like a full-time job and we're really working at it. So have patience with your child if you feel like you're not really getting through to them or you feel like it just involves so much work to talk to them or get through to them because they are more than likely struggling and working just as hard as you are. They're probably equally as frustrated as you are. None of us want to have poor communication. None of us want to feel like we have to work extra hard to get our point across to somebody or to just effectively communicate. So just remember to have patience and understanding and empathy with your child and break things down into small, literal chunks if you can, because the more literal and smaller and concise and clear it is, the easier it'll be for them to understand. Yeah, it can definitely be challenging. I mean, trying to get your message across. And I know sometimes you try and like, I sometimes I try and like rephrase things and it doesn't seem to like Land. Go, go through because I mean, it's basically the same sentence, but restructured. So it's still the same missing as far as communication. So I mean, it is definitely a challenge. But yeah, definitely, I think more simplistic rather than trying to add fluffy language that you would normally use in everyday conversation, be more direct, even though it might kind of be like nails on a chalkboard sometimes. Yeah, or it might feel really weird. <laughs> right. But, but I think overall, I mean, the, the p- person that you're communicating with, I think will actually appreciate that more. And I think our kids, when we're more straightforward with them and they understand exactly what we're saying, I'm sure they probably appreciate it because then they're not just standing there like, okay, I don't get that. I'm going to go like eat some candy or something. Yeah. Our kids aren't even at that level yet. So it's like, if, if your kids are anything like ours, it's probably a lot more simplistic language that you need. So just stick to basic and you know, gradually over time, you can start making things more complex, but just pull it back if you feel like they're not following through or understanding. I know it's frustrating for you, but it's also frustrating for us. So with that said, I hope this was helpful. Keep on, keep strong and keep empathizing with your children because I think that is the most important part. What a great motto. And a great <laughs> really, way to end. <laughs> really long motto. Yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. See you next time. Bye, everyone. In summary, we noted how literal and black and white thinking is typically reflexive and not something autistic children can choose or control. We mentioned how keeping language concise, clear, and brief can help increase chances of successfully communicating with your child. We also noted how important patience and empathy can be as our autistic children are often viewed as incompetent or bad rather than someone struggling to learn an entirely foreign way of thinking. Tune in next week as we discuss different sensory experiences and answer questions such as, what does sensory overload feel like? How does stimming help my child self-regulate? What are some sensory hacks I can adopt for them? This is Embracing Autism.